0: So back in 1983, the two gentlemen who I'm sitting with now founded one of the modern juggernauts of advertising in South Africa. It goes without saying that this is now a part of an international group which is in the Fortune 500. The agency which they began, as Reg's book tells, in the boot of a car, has turned into probably one of the most influential cultural phenomena in South Africa too. And I don't think that that's saying too much because products, brands, um, marketing, communications, media, all of this stuff is so influential. And if it weren't for Reg Lascaris and John Hunt, none of that would be there. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, that's a great legacy. <laughs> your your, your eldest, eldest child for both <laughs> of you is now 40 years old.
1: Which, which says we're really old.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's a great legacy and something of exaggeration, but we'll take it because we're in yeah. advertising. <laughs> I don't know if it's
0: an exaggeration. I mean, you, you, you guys really have had, and there are people who talk in very nostalgic terminology about some of the ads that you made, mm-hmm. that your agency created, that they continue to create, John. I mean, it's it, you know, it's, maybe it's time to actually go. Okay, well, we'll we'll take that compliment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you for that, anyway.
2: <laughs> and in a way, the 40th birthday party is exactly that, but not for us. It's for thanking everybody. So I don't know if you're aware, we're having a 40th birthday party on the 31st of March, mm-hmm. and we're inviting anyone and everyone. Who's ever worked at Huntless Carus or our sister companies to come and have the very celebration you're talking about to thank them for all because really in the end, it, it's the culture that made, you know, Huntless Caris and the people make the
1: culture. Right. I wonder if we'll recognize everyone. Well, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Eh?
2: I
0: mean, there are going to be, they're going to be some people who, who are no longer around that obviously won't be able to be there, but there are mm-hmm. going to be so many people. Who will have their own memory and then there's your memory of it. Mm-hmm. So when you look back now after 40 years of, of having this baby, the, the overall feeling must change. I mean, if, you know, if I think about just how all the rest of us feel about what we do, how, how do you guys feel when you think back to 1983 and what kinds of memories do you have? Because it also changes over time, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. It's changed over time, but I think at 1983, we were very naive. And that was such a good thing because we didn't know what we were in for (laughs) and we could do anything we like. If someone said to me, phone Harry Oppenheimer, I would have phoned Harry Oppenheimer because who's he kind of thing. (laughs) And I think part of the, the success at the beginning was that we were naive. Um, so we weren't scared of anything.
2: John, do you remember anything in particular? I think, um, I agree with Reg. There was a kind of, there is a real power in naivety in the sense that um often your competitors or the the status quo says this is how it works but you enter as the new kids on the block and you go not necessarily so just that point of view changes everything um sometimes you run at 100 miles an hour into a brick wall <laughs> but then sometimes you just do something new and different and that starts becoming Um, kind of, oh, we, those guys are not the same as the rest. And in our business, you know, that's, that's a big plus. Mm. But But there is something also that I think a lot of people are fascinated by.
0: I certainly am. Um, these great duos, these partnerships and the two of you are very different people. Yeah. But when two such different people come together and they're able to build something together, I mean, I think of like Hewlett and Packard, right? Who were the original Silicon Valley wunderkind mm. couple? And and what do you think it is about John in your case, Reg, and what do you think it is about Reg that kind of made this work? <laughs> you've both written. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've written how many books now? It's four, five or five. six. Five or six. Yeah. You've written yeah. about four thousand. No, no. no that's, <laughs> I was going to say. So you've <laughs> yeah. you've obviously explored this to some degree, yeah. and and you both have different ways of approaching mm-hmm. things too. This must have been. Uh, the ability to dip into each other's strengths, Mm -hmm. to know what you weren't good at, what the other guy could bring.
1: I think part of the the drive and everything is we were both broke. (laughs) Well, I certainly was, and I'm sure John was as well. I mean, when I was kicked out of my advertising agency I was working for at the time, and they took my company car away, I thought, well, how do I get home? Because I didn't have a car. And eventually, I had to get my wife to pick me up and take me home, and then look for a new car. And the new car wasn't a very fancy car; it was a no. very old, broken-down Corolla. And it's something—I mean, I thought, no, "This thing's got to succeed. This is, thing's got to succeed." Because we drained our bond, we did whatever we had to do to get this thing going. And uh, it kind of bites you in the bum, you know. You, you just got to work, you know. So it was—it was necessity. It was right? necessity, yeah. <laughs> it, it was. Yeah. And your car wasn't much better either, was it?
2: <laughs> what was it? A 1971 <laughs> Alpha. Okay. Which I still have. You're joking. But it's now been fixed up slightly. It looks new now. The, the rust and the corrosion are, um, now but gone. Are you, are you sentimental about things like that? Not really, but on this, it just was one of those things. So it's in my garage and about every four weeks, I, brrr, off I go and, uh, Drive it around. So, yeah, I, I do have it. And mm-hmm. Strange but true. I'm not really sentimental so much about things, but somehow Alpha stuck with me. When you, you get, get into it, do you remember those early yeah. days and think, wow, come a long exactly. way. Exactly. It's a time capsule. Right. It's the weirdest thing, you know, mm-hmm. smell of the leather, the tiny, tiny rearview mirror, <laughs> with no power steering, no <laughs> air con. Uh-huh. Um, all that, it's, it is. It's exactly a sort of visceral experience that yanks you back to those days.
1: But I got, you also had no suspension. I don't know if you remember when we used to stop at a stop yeah. street. You had your hand out like this and you were doing this the whole time because the suspension wasn't working. It looked like you were waving <laughs> to the crowds. had <laughs> fixed up my, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. But,
0: what but what do you think it is about John in your case, Reg? Mm. What, what do you think he kind of – what made the partnership work? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, John, I mean, we both weren't that well-known, to be honest. I don't think I think John was probably better known than I was. But obviously he had a lot of talent, uh, which grew and grew and came to the fore, and he had a certain calmness and a certain uh, sensitivity, should I say, dear boy? I'm very sensitive. I oh, know you are. <laughs> and, Why uh, you say that? Yeah, and away oh. with words. <laughs> oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. yeah, as evidenced again by the books. Yeah. And, and from your point of
2: view, Reg. <laughs> well, Reg, when, when you start advertising in the early days, it was much more almost siloed. You had the creative, which were meant to be the sort of "ooh, the, the crazy guys." Go down to the you know the fifth floor and have a look at those crazy guys in their jeans and you know, slip slops and whatever. And then you had account management, which was the serious side. You know, these are, and Reg represented that. I say serious in inverted commas, but they all wore ties and suits mm. and very much sort of um the the business side what was different with us we co-joined so we didn't treat it as a silo yeah we shared an office so rage could look at some creative stuff which I would then reject his comments immediately <laughs> that he had right <laughs> and then i could make some business suggestions which he could also reject if he didn't think it made any sense. But this was, I think, the first co-joined agency. So when we started, mutual decisions was the the defining management way. If I had a big thing on uh, a campaign, I would say to Reggio, I think it's great. What do you think? Mm. And it kind of became a much more holistic way of running an agency. Very, very, very different to the other. Because in the other agencies, account management had the big stick, and you were just a little creative fellas. So I think that made a big change. And Reg's ability to schmooze clients was unparalleled. Everyone loved Reg. Mm. So (laughs) that could allow me to be a little bit more of the sort of Hopefully not a prima donna, but you know, sometimes creative, bad, Sometimes the this. bad cop. So maybe I was
1: medium. He yeah, was the bad cop from time to time. Um, he was.
2: But that's hard play. You know, in a yeah. meeting, you got to have someone saying, you're a schmuck if you don't buy this campaign. Right. And then you got to have someone else saying, would you like a cup of coffee, Bill? You know, and <laughs> how are the kids? Um, and that was a, a double act that I think really worked well. I'm oversimplifying it, but you get the idea.
0: Yeah. Was there, a, was there a moment where you guys thought, Okay, we've really got something good here. Was there a client that came on? Was there a certain campaign? Was there a moment when you both kind of looked across at each other and thought, "Okay, this is now we're now we're in our flow. This is what's going to happen
1: here." Well, I think there were a couple of moments. I think firstly when we got our first client, which was Kelly Girl. Secondly, when we really botched up our first presentation, which was to Nashua, where I was supposed to be doing the strategy, and of course. The client said to me, I went through this whole thing, the client said to me, but that's a lot of rubbish. So I said, I know, tore it up and threw it away. Just choking, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> 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 and then was saved by the creative. What
0: did you do when that
2: happened?
1: Well, <sighs> took a deep
2: breath, <laughs> and then we all laughed about the strategy of putting up a strategy that isn't right and seeing if the client can smell it or not. And we then presented exactly the same work on a different strategy, which we sort of made up as we went along, yeah. and he
1: bought it. He bought it, yeah. Amazing. Mm. Nashua. Nashua.
2: Saving you your the time, line. saving
1: your money, Nashua, putting you first. Putting you first, yeah. yeah. That, was, that the was you guys. Of that. Was that, us, yeah.
2: that was that presentation.
1: God, yeah. save, time, save me
2: time, saving you money, putting money you, you first. Yeah. first.
1: Yeah, I then that. I think our third client was Big Jack Pies, yes. which obviously we didn't do a very good job on because it doesn't exist anymore. Anyway.
0: Well, I mean, also, you know, I think pies have, they've, they've gone down. A, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a very, you know, in, in an unstable yeah. market like this,
1: yeah. pies do, they go up and down. But so, so here's, here's the beautiful written word. Sometimes a man has a mighty big hunger. That's when he wants a big jack pie. <laughs> Those are the <laughs> opening lines. Genius. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah.
2: it's fantastic. They so were sitting around a cowboy campfire. Yeah.
0: So the invitation that you sent out to this party that you were talking about, John, it said something like, remember why you got into advertising? I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you yeah, got into this because you thought it would be fun to work yeah. in advertising. And in those days, it really was. Now I, I've had the great pleasure and privilege of knowing you two a little bit over the last few years, but you're, you're both very serene, very accomplished very um, well-known people, not only in the advertising world, but internationally you've both also received innumerable awards. I mean, John, you just received an extraordinary accolade um, in, in in New York. And these are things that have, in in my mind, I've never looked at you two as like wild advertising people, but you must have been and you must have had some wild times in those early days because advertising
2: was the wildest place to be once. Mm. I think the reputation sometimes exceeds the, mm-hmm. you know, as always, but it was very different. And the headline to the want says, um, remember when you got into advertising to have some fun? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not too late, are you? Right. Come to the party. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did have fun. And fun was not seen as corporately inappropriate. It was part of our DNA. Yeah. And I still believe it today. If you enjoy what you do, you do it better. So I'm a little counterculture about this whole, um, of course, you've got to be focused, of course, you've got to be grown up, of course, you've got to deliver. Sure. But why can't you enjoy yourself while you work? And, again, we didn't write that as a, a mantra or something. just how we evolved in those days to allow everyone to have a little bit of fun. And I think it pays back in spades because you want to come to work, you want to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, we did have a lot of fun. Um when you think back now, it's, you know, it's a different era, but, um, the nostalgia is real because I think it, it made for a, a much more, uh, conducive workplace to do great work. Have fun. It's the kind of business where we need to really let your brain fly. Otherwise you end up, you know, incrementally doing better, better, but you don't do any knockout stuff.
1: My opinion. We had a lot of fun. We had a bar there. Every Friday night, people used to go and drink. But we also had fun sending people up a little bit. Mm. One of our partners <laughs> always used to look at our office and think our offices were too big, and he wanted his office the same size. So when we built our new offices, we built him an office the same size. But when he went on holiday, we then made the office smaller. <laughs> we broke down the water. the <laughs> <Remember laughs> Nigel's office? <laughs> <laughs> and when he got back, he went went in went his office and he said, I don't know what it is, but this seems smaller. We never, ever told him. <laughs> we did a lot of silly things like that as well. So we had fun with our people, yeah. which I think was part of it.
0: And people, I think people had a little bit more of a sense of humor yeah. about those kinds of things then. I mean, you've seen it change a lot, haven't you? Yeah. Because yeah. now, I mean, you'd be you'd both be in trouble with HR. If, if you, oh, if geez. you, if you artificially yeah. and without the person's knowledge <laughs> kept
2: removing walls and yeah. making the room smaller. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a very good point. We hit a, I thought we hit a problem personally that the creative weren't sharing enough. So we, you know, agencies go through ups and downs and then maybe they were getting a bit lost in their own egos. Um, so one weekend I took off all the doors of all the creatives. So you had to share, you, you didn't, you didn't have a door to hide. You couldn't close yourself in your office. And, you know, we did that for a couple of weeks just to make the point. Right. Then, if you want a door, stick the door back on. But, you know, some people did, some people didn't. Mm. But you had the freedom to make those kind of decisions without, you know, I'm not saying that was right or wrong, but there was no trip to HR to say, can I, I remove the doors? You just did it. We mm. just did it. Mm. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, plus a few other naughty things we won't talk about.
2: No, 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 but I'm sure
0: some of them will come out in the, in the, the the story that will be told at the party (laughs) and depending on, on, on how, how wild it gets. Uh, But it is, it's amazing to me that advertising, it occupies such a special place in people's minds. And it isn't just nostalgia. It's because a really good campaign and a really good idea seems to stick. Um, it, it speaks to more than just the intellect or the emotion kind of does a combination of things. And and you guys created some of the most iconic ads in South Africa, and you did it at a time where that was the most powerful vehicle. I mean, now it's very much more complicated with social media and with, you know, influences and all of this stuff. Whether or not you regard those things as being important, they are things that have now come into play. But in your day, I mean, with a TV commercial like the the BMW one, Beat I mean, the Benz. Which, which everyone talks about. Mm. That is still regarded as being pinnacle advertising. Mm.
1: Well, I think Beat the Benz did a couple of things. Because remember, there was that whole argument about comparative advertising. You yes. know, it's a lot of compare things. And BMW tested, tested us out because we didn't have the business. And these guys came up with this great idea of following the Mercedes car that fell off the cliff. Mm. With a car that didn't their thing was safety it was safety and all that yeah right. passive safety, and we had this active safety thing where we beat the Benz. but that caused such a controversy because we ran it over a weekend when they couldn't pull the ads that it got so much publicity was banned, was then approved that we never ran it again because I think people might have been disappointed because it was every every newspaper, every TV show, every discussion was about how that car beat the Benz. So I think that was one of our turning points when we started working with BMW. And, and taking the ballsy
0: decision to do competitive advertising because most people err on the side of caution. Correct. Especially when there's money at stake and significant money Mm. and, you know, car advertising is still, it's a, a, you know, if you look at most of the ads you see on TV, it's not insurance and cars even now. Mm. Um, And they don't, they don't play around. Mm. That's Right. But I mean, you 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 remember how it how the the
2: actual laboratory was yeah. was doing its work during that time. I think what's important to remember is you give people freedom, sometimes even freedom to fail. Okay. Um, the beat the bands could have gone one of either way, and if the client had been nervous, we could have been fired the next day. Because look at the, mm. but it went triple good could have gone triple bad sure Mm. but we were prepared to take the risk and then it kind of washes off on the client because suddenly client gets in the lift and goes i love your ad and he's, Mm. he's more emboldened and so on and so on and so on so when you then say move to a thing like doing um a mouse on a steering wheel to show uh power steering initially that's like Mouse steering wheel. That's brilliant. A rodent on a wheel. i not <laughs> sure if that's BMW, but because they had such success with beat the bands, then they braver again. So it becomes this bravery comes cumulative, and I think we're very lucky over long periods of time. We had clients who kind of bought into the idea of not being silly for just the sake of being silly, but being different. And it really showed in their, kind of like their sales figures.
1: And we attracted brave clients. I think that's what was so nice because the people that wanted to come to us or the people we pitched for knew they were going to expect something different. Mm. And they got it and and it kind of worked.
0: Did you ever have any big, big
1: blowouts between the two of you, like big fights where you thought, I, I just don't want to work with this rem- guy anymore? I remember one. Oh? It was over a light fitting. <laughs> no. Do <laughs> you remember that. When we moved no. into the new boardroom… And there was a light fitting, and you liked the light fitting. You and Jenny liked the light fitting. Oh, two so out I of didn't like three, the light then. fitting, and I lost because it was two games one. So the light fitting and stayed. Still, you're still yeah. angry about it, aren't yeah, you? Rich? I'm really angry about it. A little bit of therapy, I think, pretty yeah, no, no, good. No. That's why. That's when Rena came into play.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and I mean, that's a, that's an interesting point because you've also been able to attract really good talent whether it's people who come in to help you with the creative side of the business. And you've had some standout creative directors. Um, you've won tons and tons of awards. Your awards cabinet is now a series of rooms, <laughs> which is great because in advertising, that's also how people judge you, right? If you don't have awards, well, how good are you really? Especially when it's big things, you've been the president of Cannes before. yeah, And, there are other people who come in who do different things, but you've got to find those right people. And clearly, you two were quite good at doing that.
2: We always said, kind of weird, and explained the term we had the orphan syndrome. We like to employ people who weren't literally orphans, but were like, wanted to prove themselves. So we used to call it a positive chip on their shoulder. If you employ people who, just perfect in every way. It's wonderful, but they're probably a little more aligned to the status quo. And we found when we employed people who are really hungry, really wanted to make something of their lives, that's where you hit the sweet spot because they're joining you to make something of themselves. And you just give the environment. So it's a wonderful quid quo pro, you know, we'll give you the space. You go do it. Now, if you don't give them the space, you can't complain but likewise if they don't perform you're going hey bud you you know what's what's stopping you and then i think and again we fell on that there was no deep intellectual Mm -hmm. stuff that's just how it came out Mm -hmm. (laughs) did you ever have a a, did you ever make a terrible
0: bad decision with respect to people and kind of instantly regret it Mm,
1: i think you always make bad decisions and we obviously made a few but I think it, sometimes it took longer than we should have to get to change it, but we made a few bad decisions, no question about it.
0: And, and I mean, you make the joke about the light fitting, but mm. do you ever recall having a ma- major argument with Reg about something?
2: Not really. There's one client that Reg wanted to take and I didn't. And <laughs> okay. I think I won that one as well. Yeah, he did. Two no. It's two no. Nice. Um, but <laughs> it's quite difficult to to fight with rage because of the character he is. Mm. So he moves very quickly into uh, conciliatory mode. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge, huge benefit in an agency because you always have strong-willed people and you always have people, you know, knocking on your door and there's a crisis there's or whatever. So um, I think although we're different, we, we center well, if that makes sense. So I don't really remember having... And you, you know, you're out still, all
0: ever. And you still get along. I mean, you spend a lot of time with each other, even though you're not in the office
1: together anymore. I mean, Reg, yeah. you don't go to the office at all anymore. No, we don't spend that much time, but I think about him a lot.
0: But you <laughs> But you were in I mean you were together in Francia last week. Yeah we were. You yeah. Know? yeah we were. And obviously around this, there's going to be a lot of reasons for you to yeah. be in the same room. Sure. Um, yeah. I'm just pleased we managed to get you to fly up for this too, because oh, John's you. down the road. Yeah. And and luckily, you know, you were you were happy to come and do it because I do think this is a, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And celebrating something like 40 years in this business is, as you say, John, it's about everybody who's been part of the story, but it's uh, one of those things that's in a, in a time and a place in South Africa where we're not really looking for too many things to celebrate. This is one that's worth it. Um, when you talk about the international expan- expansion and the, and the kind of the TBWA part of it, mm-hmm. there's this, it must have worried you quite a lot, John, because the corporatization of so many things isn't always good for those things. And as you guys became part of something much, much bigger, what, what did you, what did you start changing about your own outlook? Because now suddenly you're doing international stuff. You're being, you know, reporting to a big board in New York. You're taking important positions, both of you, on those boards. Uh, what what changes in you when you get to that stage?
2: So I think we're a little lucky in TBWA being much more of a, we call ourselves a collective. So as opposed to um arriving with a deep corporate rule book, they kind of, if you're being successful, keep on being successful. And I think, we added quite a lot to the culture of TBWA um, and how great that they were open for that so mm. not trying to sound like a big deal but they allow you if thing is positive it was a kind of organization that let you in as well as the other way around so we learned a lot from them but they um, were always uh, looking at the outliers there was us as ages called shy day um, which were the sort of call it inverted commas, the crazy ones on the outside. <laughs> but you need that in a corporate organization because otherwise everything gets too, you know, sea of gray. So um, I found, I mean, maybe I did change, but I, I found besides being too tired from flying around too much, I didn't change too much because I think you've got to be who you are. And the moment you try to pretend you're someone else, um, I don't think, it, it really worked, certainly not in, in kind of like a creative role. So I kept on being me,
1: um, just flying around too much. <laughs> yeah, I think we were very lucky because we met TBWA at a very early time in their lives as well. When we did a bit of a affiliation with them at the beginning, they were only 10 years old and they were young and they weren't everywhere. And I think… And I'm not trying to sound boastful either. I think they learned a lot from us, and we learned a lot from them. So it was mm. a mutually beneficial relationship, and we kind of grew together. And when it came to developing the philosophy of TBWA disruption, our people, Marie Jamison and all our people, contributed a hell of a lot to making disruption real. So I think we added a lot back. So I don't think I ever felt like I was working for a boss or we were working for someone who was going to tell us what to do. We felt... An, Till till I left that we were contributing a lot and they were giving a lot back to us. So it was terrific. It was a lovely relationship. Um, you, you mentioned Marie and there are
0: probably lots of others that will be mentioned through the course of these interviews. And there's so many people who you've met along the way from all over the world. Um, it, South Africa has a lot to give though. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got a unique sort of social experiment that's happened here in all these years and you guys were also tremendous and, and influential at the very beginning mm. in '94, with some of those campaigns that made a massive difference to South Africa. I mean, your, your influence there was not minimal. You were talking to the most powerful politicians in the country at that mm. point and helping them to sell their story.
1: Again, sorry if I go first. You know. But I think it started with the peace campaign. Yeah. Do you remember the peace campaign? Yes, absolutely. Because a lot of people have kind of forgotten about it. And it was at a time where South Africa was on the edge and we had a, a year to try and create peace in the country so we could have a peaceful election. And we got involved with the peace committee. In fact, I sat on the, I was part of the marketing of the peace committee and we went around and we tried to bring the country together. We created a peace song. We created a peace campaign. We had the two doves and the two doves were eventually our first flag. So when we went into the Olympics the first time, we didn't have a flag. We couldn't use the old flag. There was right. no new flag. So they used the peace flag, which is, you know, something we all forget. And from that day on, I think we all got very excited about where the country was going and how we were going to get involved. And we did. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. If you
2: take just that section, you have the peace campaign we did and we did the first. Mandela election campaign, and then we did the Constitution right, campaign. Yeah. So it's quite interesting, you could argue, if there wasn't a peace campaign, might there have been free and fair elections? If there hadn't been free and fair elections, you wouldn't have had a Constitution. So we were extraordinarily privileged to be part of all three mm. in that period. I mean, it was really in the sort of like the eye of the storm, if yeah. you like, or things were really, really happening that um, – Normally, advertising agencies don't have a, a chance to have any, you know, play any part. Mm-hmm. Um, but those were pretty heady years because the country was reinventing itself. Or as, as Reg was saying before, it was in flames, and everyone was terrified. And, then, and yet, um, it all came to the good in that period. And we had, you know, a real uh, front view, you know, front row seats to mm. all. It was fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, the people we met mandela tutu papa malefi you know we met, met all those people and f- i think it helped us grow as well because we we sit here we, we're doing something that no one else will ever do yeah I mean, and that's a privilege you know that's just amazing and that's luck i guess you know? well also thank goodness i mean things like the peace campaign
0: which i do think you're right like a lot of people might not remember and and those kinds of things make an enormous difference. Mm. And in a country like ours, to make a difference, um, it, it, the impact is much more long lasting. Mm. I mean, you, you, you've spent a lot of time in New York, John. And you know, when you're in New York, you can make a big noise, but there are a lot of other people <laughs> making a big noise, right? Here you can yeah. really make a difference.
2: Yeah. I think one of the, the roles of. I don't know, these days you can call it advertising or marketing or communications is to, mm. particularly in South Africa, you, I think, are more obliged, if that's the right, were to play a part in making South Africa a better place. So if you look at, um, you know, recently, uh, Pete Curry and the guys did a wonderful thing called Blame No More about gender-based violence. Um, we were very, very involved in the Solidarity Fund. Absolutely. Uh, we had a wonderful campaign for Joburg Ballet. Um, these are incredibly rewarding, but it's fantastic that in doing that, you also may be helping the country a little bit. And I think that should be, that's very much been deep in Huntler Scaris' DNA from day one. We did a, uh, we have a 35-year relationship with Reach for a Dream. Right. Many years ago, we did a, very iconic ad for Sam, where he, uh, he comes into um, classroom as a little school kid, and all the other school kids have shaved their head because he 's had cancer, et etc et etc. So all these things I think also make the people who work with you feel ah it 's not just yeah awards are nice and growth and all that, but <clears throat> how nice that you can actually give something back. Mm-hmm.
0: You're both very humble about all of this. And, and I suppose that's charming because I've often said that humility is only really a virtue if you've done something. <laughs> if you're humble about bugger all, then it's not really very interesting, nor is it a major character attribute. But when you, when you do look at it, do you ever take the time to just go, well, actually this is quite cool, not just mm-hmm. because You can both say you've got all these individual achievements or even the things you've done together. Mm -hmm. But all the other people you've given a chance to do this. I mean, there there are a bunch of companies inside of your stable which have all excelled in various ways, shapes, and forms. And sometimes you've just, as you said just now, John, created a place for them to do it and let Mm -hmm. them run free.
1: I think what I'm particularly proud of is the people that left us. And went and did really, really well, some became heads, one became head of Ogilvy made in London, someone else became head of YNR in New York. I mean so many people that were with us who were youngsters who hmm. were like they were like friends on our big deals and that 's amazing and, and for me as well, what happened in the Middle East and Eastern Europe when I was trying to develop that area was fascinating because there I went head into a culture i didn 't understand at all, yeah and met some really really nice people and Together we built the biggest network in the Middle East and we, you know, it was fun and I learned a lot because I understand a a few different cultures now.
0: Yeah. And I mean, how incredible (laughs) to learn all of that while you're doing the work that you're doing. Yeah. Do you agree about the smaller businesses that you guys have helped to
2: fire into the stratosphere? Yeah. I mean, I was in New York in November and they very kindly, uh, I've got my award, guys organized a dinner in new york and there were like I think 15 16 people who were ex-south africans who are all now big cheeses in just new york forget australia london etc cetera, etc cetera. and um
0: this is not just any award by the way this is the one show hall of fame in new york you're the first person from africa to ever be inducted in so indeed a, this is this is a huge, and just before you went on, it was what Phil Knight and michael Jordan <laughs> yeah <laughs> of those yeah spiky- just, you know, just a couple uh, of you know
2: guys that no uh, one's ever heard of um mm-hmm. but what was so great with this dinner was it really became a tell your story about Scar. so they're all big muckety mucks around the world, sure but Tied them together was Do you remember when and some of the stories we could repeat and some we can't, but um clearly the they all agreed that the DNA of working at Hunter, however that spilled over, hmm. whether it was Hunter Scarist or, you know, grid and we got all these other wonderful sister companies. Um, that was sort of someone gave them confidence or belief or, or whatever. And, um, that's probably in the end, the, the best legacy you can have, I think.
0: Well, I also think you two have, uh, an incredible legacy in other places as well. I mean, for starters, you've, um, you've created some iconic wine brands together. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you're, you're in a rock band now. Yeah. That's your full-time job. Actually, that's my actually, full-time job. That's, that's, that's.
1: And my real passion. Yeah. My well, I, passion.
0: and I, I mean, you're you're really yeah. good at that too. So that's a, a creative well, I'm expression. I'm glad you said that. No, you have seen. I've seen you in action. I'll take so that. I think. sure. And without <laughs> uh, you know, without any real talent, any rock band dream is a pipe dream. But you've made it happen. <laughs> yeah. And you guys play, but you're terribly expensive, and people can't uh, afford you outside of French hook. You know, it's just an impossible thing. Yeah. But I mean, both of you also have. You've, you've invested in other ways in this country. You've, you've been involved in, in helping, you know, some of the, the best causes without any, you know, expectation of anything coming back to you. And I know that you're both hugely passionate about this place and you believe in South Africa. And the two of you have never got mixed up in, you know, like messy politics, but you know a lot of the people in politics. You know, a lot of the people in business. And are you both still as optimistic as you were 10 years ago, 12 years ago? Where do you think we're going?
1: Uh, so let me, start. let me start. So I think we're in a worrying place okay. at the moment. Um, but you know, South Africa in a funny way has been a lucky country. It's gone up and down. I remember my father saying to me, uh, when sharpville blew up, time to leave the country. And, uh, A lot of people did, but we didn't leave the country. We stayed, and that was Sharple, And then there was Soweto, and then there was this, and there's always been a bit of luck somewhere. And I'm hoping, I really am hoping that something lucky will happen again and something will change again because it is a bit of a watershed time, I have to say. I feel it. uh, That's honest. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people feel it. But there's so much good in this place. Mm. There's so many good people. There's so many people who wanted to work. And I'm one of them. I'm sure John is one of them. You, you guys are. You guys do a hell of a lot for the country. So I'm hoping it's a, a bit of a temporary setback, and I'm hoping that it will change soon. What do you say, John? Um,
2: so, again, to be honest, I really drank the Kool-Aid during the, you know, Mandela, you know, because you're part of it and you sure. really you believe. so. It is a bit sad when politics sort of reversed to a bit of a grubby place, which it certainly seems to be now um and the ability of South Africa is not just to be resilient but somehow to find a way through um I'm a bit like reg on that I'm betting on that i can't i I don't want to be Pollyanna and give any you know you know there's always a new dawn. But I do back the way South Africans of every color creed, or whatever, sort of mark a plan. Yeah. And um, I'm hoping a lot of the stupidity that you see um, in place today uh, is taking to the lowest point where right. you have to accept, guys, this is just, Batch it crazy. So (laughs) now let's let's go into that building, let's fix it. And we are very good at fixing. I think certain people need to get out of the way. And then you'll be surprised how quick that fix will be. So I'm still the eternal Afro optimist. I don't want to be Pollyanna, but I do have a sense that um maybe we're hitting that bottom bit. Right. And it's not a dead cat bounce, but it's a okay.
1: Now we've so realized, no, can we mm,
0: not just get worse put on before our, it gets yes, better put on our adult
1: pants and off we go <laughs> Yeah and I think it will get a little bit worse before it gets better Oh
0: okay well listen mm. you're both realistic if nothing else but I I do also admire the the optimism and the I mean I find the two of you an invaluable resource from time to time when I when I you know am able to tap into your resources of positivity and your resources of experience. So if you could go back and and sit down with the John and Reg of 1983, would you give them any advice that might have really helped you then? And would you let them make their mistakes or would you try to stop them? Because I, I, I suppose that's how you got where you are, right?
1: 82, we were in a high. Gold price was high. Everything was hunky-dory. <laughs> 83 everything collapsed again so gold price collapsed the start ran started going down all those things happened Mm. and we started it wasn't planned that way when things were rock bottom Mm. because i think 82 the gold price hit an all-time high the round was one-on-one with the dollar and all those things happened and then we started in 83 and we had to swallow hard in a way but funny enough you know when you're young like that you don't really care we're going to do it. We're going to do something. John had come back from writing a book in Thailand, I think it was. Something like that. Somewhere. And we both said, let's still give it a go because we had a year to think about it, uh, and make a few plans, try and find some money. No one would give us, No one would give us any money. Um, and then we just gave it a go. So I think number one, <laughs> you have to be brave. And I think we were brave to be, or, or as I say, naive right at the beginning. But the advice is if, if you feel like it and you want to do it, you got to do it. I don't think you have any options. There's no such thing as
0: perfect timing.
1: No, no such thing as perfect timing. Exactly. Because it was a bad time. Now is a bad time, I guess, if you look at it many ways, but maybe it's a good time to start a business. So there's nothing you would have said to the old you, the um, young you at that the, time. <laughs> yeah. The young you. What, what would I have said to myself? No. No, there's nothing I would have said. I would have done what I've. Wanted to do, and I had a fortunate to have a very nice, very good partner with me. So, wow! What would you say to, to
0: young
2: John? So, <laughs> I would have said two things. Um, the first would have been to believe before it's true. So, you have to have that belief. You can't start anything based on the fact that it will be a success. A, you don't know; it's the future. So, I would say. To anyone, starting, you have to have the, the courage, or Rich said, the bravery to believe before it's true. So, mm-hmm. we wanted to start the world's first, you know, world class agency out of Africa. Now, how the hell do you know that's going to happen? But you have to believe it to make it come true. So, it's a bit weird, mm-hmm. but I would say critical that you do that. And then the second thing I would say is, It's very old school, but you have to have persistence. It's a Mm. perseverance, grit, Mm. whatever you want to call it. And that's sometimes not such a a trendy thing right now Mm. because people want things very quickly and instantly and that gratification, Mm. if it's not done in three months, I'm out of here. To be honest, our first few years were not that great. I mean, they were great. (laughs) We grew a little bit and Mm. we paid salaries, but Mm. we weren't shooting the lights out. Mm. Probably took us, you know, two, three, four years to, and then, you know, we hit the... The Nando's work and the BMW work, mm. but that wasn't in year one. So if you can believe before it's true, I think that's a very mm. strong uh, – and if you can then have grit, persistence, mm. you've got to keep going. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I, th-
1: I think you've got to be a tough-minded optimist. You have to be an optimist. Okay. You can't not be an optimist. You'll go through bad times and good times. And actually the very lucky thing was when I was done. For some reason, John seemed to be up and I used to feed off that. And we kind of helped balance through the rough times because the first year we didn't earn any money. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Which is mm-hmm. quite tough. Four kids at <laughs> school, yeah, all that kind yeah, of absolutely. stuff. Uh, but when we wrote down what our dream was to be the first world class agency out of Africa, took another sip of the beer and had a hell of a good laugh. <laughs> We're going to be the first world class agency out of Africa. But the next day we wrote it down. Right? And I think your line was because life's too short to be mediocre. Okay. And then that went up on the wall and somehow it just sat in the back of our heads. And that was our dream. And it came true. I mean it came true. Well in- it, it it came partly true because you it's such a big dream you'll never get there. But it it became partly true and that was wonderful.
0: How do you know, and this is probably useful to people who are and people who are on their way there and people who are not, but how do you know when you're successful? Do other people tell you? Do you just feel it? <laughs> I never feel successful.
2: <laughs> really, John? I, never? I don't ever feel there's a uh, there. I mean, you keep mean, I don't mean that as false modesty. I just mean, you know, you just keep doing stuff. I don't think, oh, He's hit six point three out of some group. Oh, he's successful, mm-hmm. and I don't. I never feel successful. I, I don't feel depressed either, but I don't. No, I sure. just don't feel.
0: Ah, okay.
2: are you being so there, there was not yes. a moment yeah. like yeah. that
0: because people not, think not there for is. me, not mm-hmm. for people me. Think there
2: Other is, people,
1: right. I'm sure, are different. Mm-hmm. But as an individual, no, nah. I agree with that because successful in what? Yeah, you know, a great priest is a successful priest. A great rock singer. I've still got a hell of a long way to go, I promise you. By that stage, I won't be able to sing anymore. But, and what I, what I think is so nice and I, John's doing it and I'm trying to do, to, to do something different and be successful in something different is a hell of a challenge. And, uh, that's what we, that's what I'm trying to do now, different things.
0: What would your other job have been? I've got a, kind of idea for either of you but i might be wrong who knows what would your other job have been if you hadn't have done what you did if you guys hadn't been these mavens in advertising what might you have been
1: (laughs) okay i started off looking for a job because i went to university and didn't do very well my first job was in a mining house huh didn't last long i hated it and then I thought, no, you know, music, because I always like music, I'd try to become a recording engineer. I was fine. Then I thought, well, advertising sounds great. Let me try. An advertising. I tried a few things and didn't enjoy it. But I must say, from the first day I started working in an ad agency, there was something about it I really loved. So I don't know what else I would do. Probably I would have loved to be more involved in music somehow. Sure. And yours, John? Um, well I'm even worse than Reg. I didn't even go to
2: university so I couldn't have done badly at it I didn't even get there um so I also did these you know clerk mm-hmm. at you know insurance company blah 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 and then but I always wrote so because I wrote my then girlfriend's sister read the story I wrote in a magazine and she was the one who said you should get into advertising she worked in advertising so how's that for Deep strategy. Hmm. Um so I would have had something to do with writing. Uh I love plays, script writing, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So for me, if Reg's other life was music, my other life was something, something. in writing. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I mean it's it's stuff that you've managed to both of you do, as well as yeah. Yeah. doing what you've done. Well, listen, all I can say is congratulations. 40 oh, years is no small feat you. and the the number of lives that have been brought into you know the advertising world the number of people who've created brilliant brilliant things uh the influence you've had on the culture the influence you've had on south africa these are all things which i think we can all be very grateful for so it's it's just keep on doing what you're doing you continue to inspire people as the agency grows up and the people change and and advertising changes, and God knows, hasn't that happened. Mm-hmm. Sure has. Uh, it sure has. Um, it's great to know that there, there really are people who can make mm-hmm. s- stuff that's international, mm-hmm. stuff that mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. the greatest creative stuff to come out of Africa. It's fantastic. Well done.
1: Thank you also for all your support, because you've supported us so well, and Rena, along the way. Rena, for sure. No, both <laughs> of <them>. you. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, thank thank sure. you so much. Thanks uh, very much.
2: We're all yeah. part of the same ecosystem, so yeah. hopefully we, everyone keeps helping each other. Absolutely. Thank you so much, John yeah. and Rich.